kind of like that music. Just keep it on all the way through the sermon. Be good. Um, my name is, is Pastor Jason. I am not the senior pastor, but this month I will be playing one. That's right. Our actual senior pastor, Joshua Rivas, is uh, taking the month off. And if you're concerned about him, don't be. Everything's fine. Although we make lots of jokes maybe about them not being fine, but they actually are fine. Um, it's just a wonderful time for him and Karen to uh, unplug a little bit and get some, uh, get some time off. So they're having a great time, and uh, here we are. And we are going through our core values, which we have recently um, articulated and are going week by week uh, talking about them. And these are some of the truths we hold dear the most, and, and they're, they're some of the things that come up all the time, whether we're preaching or whether we're talking um, or whether we're strategizing. You just hear a lot of these, these things come up. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk uh, about the, the second uh, segment of our core values. Uh, segment one was God, and now we get to man. Uh, so the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at these topics. Uh, first of all, this, today, uh, we are sons and daughters first. Second, uh, next week will be our sins separate us from God. And the third one, we'll talk about how Christ redeems us. So we're going to jump right in. But first, let's pray. Can we pray? All right. Lord, I ask you would come. Lord, I ask you would help me to speak and that you would open up our ears and our hearts for anything that you have to say to us. Can you agree with that prayer? Amen. Amen. Um, we're sons and daughters first, and I thought this was very appropriate, Calvin and Hobbes. Here's Calvin flexing in the mirror. Made in God's image, God's own image, yes, sir. And Hobbes saying, God must have a goofy sense of humor. <laughs> the snide comment there. But I love it because uh, we hear this idea that we're made in God's image. We're sons and daughters. I'll never forget how, uh, you know, we had one of those great 3D ultrasounds uh, when my, uh, my son Nathan, before my son Nathan was born. Have you seen those? They're just unbelievable. I mean, this was so incredible to me. Um, you know, we, we wanted to get a really good look at him because we wanted to see if his heart was okay. Because, of course, my son Samuel had a, a heart defect when he was born. And so they wanted to check. So here you've got this little thing like put on my wife's stomach. They can see not only the baby inside of her stomach, but they can see the heart inside the baby inside of her stomach. Isn't that insane? Just incredible. So we're looking at that, and they could see from early on, they said, hey, great news. His heart is fine. He's going to be okay. So we said, yay, thank God. So we're looking at him, and, and they, they come up to the face, and I noticed something about his face. I said, look at that. Look at his chin. He's got a cleft chin like I do. He's got a little, he's got a, he, he looks like me. And he's in, uh, that might not be a blessing, I understand, but he's got enough of his mom's genes that that's wonderful. And I look, but I'm like, that's my son. He looks, he's, he's made in my image. He has a whole bunch of my DNA. It's, it's insane. So what does it mean that we are made in God's image? He doesn't have actual DNA. <laughs> got a spirit. So what does that mean? Um, so I want to explore that first as we talk about being sons and daughters. You see, here's the trouble. God is eternal. He was there in the beginning. In fact, that's the most outlandish phrase in the whole Bible. In the beginning, God. Think about that. It's not just a beginning. It was the beginning. Whatever the beginning <laughs> was, he was there. He's eternal. 
and he's going to keep on going forever. We're not eternal in that way, you see. Uh, I've only been on this earth for 36 years. Um, it, it, we're, we're not eternal beings. So how, how can we say that? How can we say that we are made in his image when he's omnipotent? He's powerful enough to speak worlds into existence and juggle suns in his fingers. We're not like that. We're not omniscient. We don't know all. We're not omnipresent. We only occupy a little tiny space on this earth. So in what sense do we say we're made in his image? Because honestly, it sounds a little bit arrogant, doesn't it? Doesn't that, do we feel a little bit like Calvin there in front of the mirror, flexing our muscles? So how is it that we look like him? Well, I'm going I'm to give a couple of uh, ways that I think uh, uh, things that I think about a lot in terms of this, and you could say a lot of different things. But I thought this picture sums it up pretty well. You have a tiny hand of a newborn inside a, a large hand, and I, I think that even though he is infinite and we are finite, he's given us much of the same things. So much of the things that we have, they simply come from him. We just don't have them at an infinite level. So, uh, for example. Um, we have the capacity to love. This is unique for, to, to human beings. We have the capacity to love. Now, we see this from him all over the scriptures, obviously. Here's the, the verse that jumped out at me as I was thinking about it. We love because he first loved us. Can't you see the made in God's image part of this? He loved, therefore we love. Do we love as much as him? No, because he's infinite. But we get that from our dad. See, that's our little tiny hand inside of his big hand. We love him, he first loved us. Now, obviously we don't always love, so we're talking about capacity here. We're not saying our love is as pure, we're simply saying we have the capacity, the ability to love. This is kind of a heartbreaking verse right here. This is Jesus, right after he walked through in the triumphal entry, he, he, he goes up on a hill and he starts weeping for the city. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Isn't that a sad verse? But you see the, the, the love of God reaching out for his people, and this time it's not reciprocated. They had the capacity to do it, but they did not. It's interesting, too, that you see, you see a picture of a heartbroken God, which might mess with your theology a little bit. Some think that everything that happens is what he wants to happen. This verse seems to indicate that's not true. He says, I wanted this to happen. I wanted to gather you close to me. You were not willing. God is sovereign, but that does not mean that everything that happens is what he wanted to happen. Do you hear what I'm saying? So we have the capacity to love, but it's not a guarantee that we will. Here's uh, a second way that we're made in God's image. We have a personality. Mind, will, and emotions. I want to suggest that God has each one of these. One of the, the coolest verses that I think about with this is, is when he, he says, come, let us reason together. God invites us to reason. The prophet Jeremiah knew this. The prophet Jeremiah said this one time. He had, he had all kinds of things that he was struggling with. He, he says, righteous are you, o, o Lord. Let me try that again. Righteous are you, O Lord. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. And he didn't get scared out of his mind to bring up things saying, why do the wicked prosper, and, and this kind of stuff. See, he wants to discuss. He understood that about God, that God is a reasonable God, and he's made individuals who can reason also. 
Is our reasoning perfect? <laughs> no. No. Tyler Seaborn's reason is close to perfect. But others, right there. I don't know why you today, why not? Also our will. Choose life that you might live, he says. He chose. He says, remember, you, uh, it's not, you didn't choose me, I chose you first, see? We have a God who chooses, who acts on his will, and we have that same capacity. Again, this is unique to humanity. And finally, emotions. Now, many people have, have made the case that maybe God is impassable. Maybe God does not uh, condescend to us. Maybe he's unreachable. Because, after all, he's God. So how could I possibly move him? How could he possibly feel emotions based on what I do? And I understand the sentiment. The problem is that's not the picture that Scripture gives. The picture that Scripture gives is of a God who very much experiences emotion. He, he experiences great highs and great lows in how he feels. And sometimes when you read through what he says, it's absolutely heart-wrenching. Now, if you ever want to see, see this through, read the book of Jeremiah. And an amazing thing happens as you read the book of Jeremiah. You have this man who is, is calling out to his people for them to turn back to God, and they won't turn. And, and it just eats away at him. And over the years, he's preaching the same sermon, come back to God, and they won't come back. And he, then he begins to just weep. And everywhere he goes, he's weeping, trying to call them back, and they don't come back. And it breaks his heart. And he gets to the point after years of this, they call him the weeping prophet. Here's the weeping prophet. Hey, tell us again how we need to turn back to God. And he just weeps. And God essentially says this to him. You know, Jeremiah, um, you, you, <laughs> you, you're sad well, I'm sad too. You see, these people have rejected you. Well, they've rejected me too. Sometimes you want to run, run away from them. Sometimes I want to, want, excuse me, want to run away from them too. He says, oh, that I had a wayfarer's lodging place that I may go away from my people. For all they do is the things that I tell them not to do. It's a, it's a heart-wrenching book. And you see, this, this verse in particular is one that, that I always think of when I think about the emotions of God. How I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of the nations. And I said, you shall call me my father and not turn away from following me. Surely as a woman treacherously departs from her lover, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Tragic, tragic thing there. So the reason that you have emotions, it's not a result of the fall. Some of you need to hear that. You have emotions. Oh, I'm just so crazy. Why do I feel these things? What's wrong with me? Well, God has emotions too. It's okay that you have emotions. They shouldn't be running your life. Don't get me wrong. But it's okay to feel things. In fact, sometimes you don't have much of a choice over the way that you feel. You have a choice of how you're going to react to those things. But your emotions are a gift from the Lord. You have them because he has them. You're made in his image. Amen? Another way we're sons and daughters. Our father loves us unconditionally. This is the truest thing about you. The single truest thing about you is that he loves you unconditionally. This painting um, is a very famous painting by Rembrandt. 
Um, it's uh, in a museum in St. Petersburg. It's a massive painting. I always thought it was just like this, but with so many of these great Renaissance paintings, they're actually like, this is like six, by, six feet by eight feet or something. It's huge. And uh, it is a depiction of the prodigal son. And I'm currently reading a book that Sandra loaned me uh, by a, a man named Henry Nowen. It's all about this particular painting and how it captured him. And it doesn't do it justice up here um, on, the, uh, on the screen, but it's a powerful painting. You see this old man's hands, his wrinkled hands clutching onto his son's shoulders, and the son and his sandals falling off of his feet, just leaning into his father. And then you have these figures alongside watching very piously, not even sure how to react but the son and the father being bathed in light right there tell the story, the story we all know. This painting demonstrates the heart of the father uh, so clearly that, uh, that there's unconditional love and no matter where we've gone, uh, uh, he, he wants us to come back. He's calling us home. The, the painting is not for sale. I, I scoured the internet trying to figure out how much the estimated worth is and it's nowhere, but it's Rembrandt, and it's one of his most famous paintings, so it would easily be in the tens of millions of dollars, maybe even up to 100 million. Incre now, why, I started thinking, well, why is it so valuable? Well, first of all, it's what I just said. It's a powerful painting, and it's, it's, it's gorgeous. It's well thought out, everything well composed, all these things, all these words, these art words that I don't know because I don't paint. <laughs> but it goes beyond that. One of the reasons it's so powerful, one of the, excuse me, that it's so valuable, is that Rembrandt painted it. The fact is, you know, if Frankie Jones in South London had gotten a canvas and painted this thing and, and then just, you know, disappeared into history, it wouldn't be near, worth nearly as much. But this is a Rembrandt! You see that? The touch of the master's brush was on this painting. And for that reason alone, it's incredibly valuable. And you know, another reason why it's valuable is that there's only one. He didn't, he didn't paint the same painting a hundred times and then send them out to all the dealers across Europe. He painted one. Yes, you can buy prints of it at art.com if you want to. Go for it. But it is not the same. He painted one. You starting to see where I'm going here? You guys, he painted one of you. The master painted one of you. You know, value is tied to scarcity. There's only one of you. And you are made by the master. Therefore, your, valuable is, is, your value is incomprehensible. It's so high. And it's built into you. This is the truest thing about you. And you know, you can't lose that either. It's not something that you can walk away from. This verse is not about the doctrine of once saved, always saved, or perseverance of the saints. I'm so disappointed that it's so used that way. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate me from what? From salvation? He's not talking about salvation. From what? From God's love. He will not stop loving you ever, 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 ever. Isn't that good news? 
None of these things can come and rob you of that. And you know what? You can't rob you of that either. No matter how much you've blown it, you can't rob yourself of the fact that he loves you. There is no condition on it. There are no strings attached. There is no expiration date. You know, there's no expiration date for your neighbor either. There's no expiration date for your enemies. You know, sometimes it's easy when you see some of the terrible things that are going on in the world to look and you think you're just outraged by how could a person do this? You say, oh, these animals, why are they doing, you know, we should never do that. That should, that should never happen with a Christian. We should never say that. We should never think those things. Because yes, people do great sin, and yes, there will be judgment, and yes, there needs to be repentance, and all these things. Yes, 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 yes. But that person still has value. The most hardened ISIS terrorist who's committing these horrible atrocities is still a son of God. They have not lost their value, and he still cries out for their redemption. He might not get it. They might need justice in order to protect others. I get all that, but the person is not an animal. He is not a beast. He's still a precious son of God who's gone wayward because his love is unconditional. Do you see that? It's unconditional. It doesn't go away no matter what, no matter what someone else has done or no matter what that person has done because we're sons and daughters first. Finally, our purpose is found in him. If we're sons and daughters first, our purpose is going to be found in him and with him. Jesus understood this. That's why he chose to be about his father's business when he <laughs> decided to just hang out in Jerusalem even though his parents went home. I wonder if he knew. question just came to me. It has nothing to do with my sermon. But did he know? Did he know his parents? Forget it. <laughs> no, I don't know. Anyway, he said, I want to be about my father's business, and this is what we're meant to do too. Uh, for Jesus, that meant being with him. It meant withdrawing with the father at times, being quiet before him, resting with him, praying, talking to him, listening to him, being about his father's business. It meant doing things with him, about hearing what he said to do, uh, uh, doing the same things, building the kingdom in the same way that his father would build the kingdom and working to restore the family. Our purpose is the same. We're called to dwell with him. We're called to create with him. We're called to call our siblings home. This is why the controlling metaphor all the way through scripture about who God is is father. This is why brothers and sisters is said so often. What we're looking to do is expand the family by calling our siblings home, just as we've come home. Does this make sense to you guys? Yeah. Um, so it, all these things, these three points, were created in God's image. Our Father loves us unconditionally. Our purpose is found in Him. Um, all of this is true before anything else happens. All of this is true before sin comes in. Yes, I know sin comes in. I know sin ruins a lot of stuff. But these things are more true I want you to hear me here. They're, they're, they're truer 
then the corruption that comes in so that they can actually be restored. Do you hear what I'm saying? You see, so often when we talk about humanity, we start attaching things, we start attaching these words to them like fallen humanity or sinful humanity or, you know, when we talk about the wisdom of men or all these different things, we start attaching uh, uh, all these negative connotations to anything that's distinctly human. And I think that's actually unfortunate. I think that's a really one-dimensional way of seeing things. Because, yes, Genesis 3 happened. Yes, the fall happened. But Genesis 1 happened first. Do you hear me? Genesis 1 happened first. This is why we say we are sons and daughters first. You see, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I have, a, sometimes I have this struggle in my heart when I think about people that I know that have run away from the Lord. And I think, man, what's the deal? Like, why would they do this? And you start thinking that they're somehow too far from, from grace. And I have given up. I confess, I've given up praying for some people sometimes. And my mom called me on it a couple of weeks ago. You need to keep praying for her. I'm like, okay, fine. Right. <laughs> because anytime we think that someone else has gone too far from grace, then we've forgotten what grace is. And this is the reason why they can still be brought back. They were mothers, they were, excuse me, they were sons and daughters before all the corruption. They were sons and daughters before the rebellion. They were sons and daughters before the mistrust, the broken relationships, and everything that ensued after that. Just like we were. They can still be called home. There is still a bedroom in our Father's mansion with their name on the door. We must remember this. We are sons and daughters first. And so is everyone around us, no matter how bad they've hurt us, no matter how bad they've hurt other people, they are first and foremost a son of God or a daughter of God. And he still sees him as that, apparently, because he's the father sitting on his porch swing waiting for them to return. And if they do, he's gonna run for them. He's gonna run for him. And you know, we could run too. I think he would have appreciated that if the older brother ran instead of looking down and sneering. If we remember this as the core of a person's identity, it'll change the way we talk to them. It'll change the way we talk about them. It'll change the way we treat them. Sin is real, but love is real-er. Grace is real-er. You grammar Nazis like me are cringing right now. Um, I have never done this before, I don't think, but I'm going to show a movie clip this morning. I hesitate to do it for a couple reasons. First, I think it can be really gimmicky to show a movie clip. It's very 90s. It was really hip in the 90s to show a movie clip. Sometimes it doesn't work because the context isn't there. I'm going to try to fill you in the context. I, I do want to give you... Um, I, the other thing is when you're up here and you mention a movie or you, especially if you show a clip that everyone thinks, hey, this is great. We're going to go home and watch this movie now because the pastor just endorsed it. You need to be careful on this particular movie. This is a movie called Blood Diamond. This is a very violent movie. It's an extremely heavy movie. There's lots of blood. Uh, the language is very rough. I'm not saying go out and watch this movie, but there's a scene here that I want to show you, and this scene, don't worry, is you know, totally PG here. 
But the, um, I, I, let me just quickly give you a sketch of what you're about to see. This is a movie about a civil war in Sierra Leone, in Africa. Uh, there's a character here named Solomon. He was a fisherman, a peaceful man, a good man with his family. And the rebel forces came in and wiped out the village. They stole his sons. They kidnapped him and his wife and uh, sent him to the diamond mines where they could uh, uh, supply financially uh, uh, fund the rebellion. And so this man Solomon was able to get away and work with uh, some other people to try to find this huge diamond in order to get his son back and his wife. The problem is, in the meantime, his son was uh, uh, brainwashed and turned into a child soldier. And this is a terrible, horrible reality um, that this is speaking of. In fact, it's a true story. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're drugged, they're, their minds are totally twisted. Uh, it's just terrible, terrible stuff. And his son is about 10 years old, uh, and he has become a, a ruthless killer. And what we see here in the end is this man, uh, in this particular scene, this man Solomon and uh, his, his friend are digging to try to find this, this great diamond that Solomon wants to use to, uh, to trade for his family so he can get his son back. And that's what we're going to watch right here. What are you doing? Dia! Nyangbe! Nyangbe! What are you doing? Bella Diavanti of the Proud Mende tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister yonder. And you do, baby? The cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who wants no one but you. Hmm? I know they made you do bad things, but you're not a bad boy. I am your father, who loves you. And you will come home with me and be my son again. I know they made you do bad things, but you're not a bad boy. Come home with me and be my son. And I see that and I'm so moved by it every single time because that's the heart of our father. No matter what has happened in the intervening period of the times when, when things were good, when we knew him, he's still there and he's still calling us back. Let me ask you, what if we saw our neighbors in the way that this man saw his son? What if we looked at them with the same eyes of grace and compassion and said, come home? How would that change our nation? How would that change our nation if we looked at people, who, at hardened atheists who hated what we do 
How would that change if we could look at them just like the Father and not take offense and instead call them home? How would that look if we looked at at our political rivals in the same way? How would that change the tone of discussion in the nation? How would that change hearts? I have a feeling if we all did this, if we all lived this way, the gospel would spread like wildfire because who does not want to come home to that father? I can't imagine. Now I want to ask you this. What if we all saw ourselves that way? Sometimes it's easier to extend grace to others and say God still loves you no matter what you've done. And then we go home and we pound ourselves into the carpet for what we've just done or for what we did 10 years ago. If that's you, I want to show you that picture of the Father. That's how God sees you. Yeah, it's been a rough go. Yeah, you've done some stuff. But you are my son first. Before any of that happens, you are my son. And he's always calling us home. The invitation is there. He's calling us home. That's the reality, friends. And it's truer than the junk that we've allowed in our lives. It's truer than the places we've stumbled. It's truer than the the, the times that we've thrown ourselves into sin and then felt bad about it, felt dirty about it, and felt like we've just somehow pushed ourselves too far. And he's not gonna have us home. He's, He's not gonna let us come back. We've just done, no. We need to look at the picture of the Father because he's calling you home. Anyone need to hear that this morning? Let's stand. I have the prayer service team come forward. If you want prayer for anything in particular, um, anything at all, but if you need, you, you need some, some touch in this area, whether for you or for someone else, but especially for you, um, I want you to come forward and, uh, and get some prayer. In the meantime, let's, let's just invite a further revelation of this. Can we do that? Lord Jesus, we ask you to make this more hardened and more real into our hearts. I don't want to forget this, Lord. I don't want to forget or lose sight of who you are. Lord, we don't want to lose sight of who you are. So I say to all of you, you are sons and daughters of the Father. See yourselves that way. Let go of the other. See yourselves for your heritage. See that you're made like him. See that you look like him in so many ways. And see that he's welcoming you home. Can you do that? Amen. Let's do it. All right, prayer servant team is here if you need prayer. Have a wonderful week.